I'm Craig Campbell from Nerdburger Games, and you are listening to Morris's unofficial Table Talk RPG Talk. This week, Morris, Peter, and Jessica talk about the playtesting process for a role-playing game. In the news, a gelatinous cube toy has been announced, another million-dollar Kickstarter is on the horizon, Star Trek Adventures Utopia Planitia book will let you make your own starships, and more, plus a brand new sketch about the discourse when a new RPG movie comes out. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week's podcast is sponsored by his glorious draconic majesty, Cordis, the almighty, the ever-living flame, destroyer of life, scourge of the northern reaches and the southern reaches and the reaches in between, burner of the unburnt and killer of bunnies. Did, did I read that right? All the tabletop role-playing news, we aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ, and with me this week is Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ, as ever, it is a complete delight to be here. And once more, we are graced with the absolutely stellar presence that is one, the only, it's... It's me on only two hours of sleep, Jessica from EM Publishing. Woo! So we have to decide who feels the worst, Jess with only two hours of sleep or me with a stomach bug. You look worse. Oh, yeah, you, you, so... you look like a lot worse, man. It's not even close. Yeah. <laughs> even with my new haircut that I got yesterday just to cheer myself up because I was feeling so miserable all week and I thought a new haircut would cheer me up. Oh, okay. Thanks a bunch, friends. Uh, Cheers. <laughs> thanks. Supportive. I think of us. I think of us more as colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think wow. of as people I have met. <laughs> wow. People I am paid to spend time with. I just reach out for a little bit of support and encouragement, Wait, okay, and what okay. do I get? <sighs> oh, Another day older and deeper. In I day. was nice yesterday. I was nice. I said, don't worry, take the time off. Everything's under control at EM Publishing. And it is. Yeah, okay. Nothing is on fire. There you go. You've had your weekly reassurance. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's fine. A bit sad, no? Oh, well. Oh. Okay. Let's make a podcast. So, 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 what should we start with? Let's start with an awfully cheerful question. It's time for the awfully cheerful question. If you have a question, tag us on the socials with hashtag awfully cheerful question or email us at morrispodcast at gmail.com. If we answer it, we'll send you a free book. A free book? We're far too generous. That's what I say. Let's start with the awfully cheerful question. Woo! Okay then. That might cheer you up, Russ. It might cheer me up. I mean, it is awfully cheerful. Great. By definition. So, yeah. so the awfully cheerful yeah. question this week is from yes. Sard Onyx, who says, I just wanted to say I really enjoy your podcast. It's very informative and entertaining, and the dynamic between the three of you is great. Well, it was up until just now, when I realized <laughs> just how, how little my co-hosts care for me. Uh, here's my awfully cheerful question. What are your thoughts about a Monster of the Week style campaign? And do you have any ideas or suggestions for keeping it fresh and entertaining? Mm, that is an interesting one. 
So I think by this we're talking sort of episodic campaigns. So you're talking yeah. like a, a Star Trek series or something where something happened each week. And yeah. I actually really like that idea for a campaign. Yeah. Um, as long as you can fit it in each week and depending on the length of your sessions, like it would be perfect for a game of Star Trek. If you could do that every week, do an episode each week without having to have a long story arc. Because Star mm-hmm. Trek works better like that, in my opinion. Yeah. That's the yeah. format that it works better. I don't know if it works for all games, like something like a yeah. Buffy-style game, I reckon it well, would work for. Well, it's funny yeah. you mentioned Buffy-style games, because I'm like thinking, should I recommend Monster of the Week? <laughs> the Powered <laughs> by the Apocalypse game. Do you think it would work for that? <laughs> it feels related to the question, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not um, familiar with the running side of things, because mm. it's part of a family of games which I don't have a lot of experience with, but... I have played it. Mm. It was very interesting. I think I got to play like the Giles type. Yeah. Mm. Talk about typecast, man. Nice. So, um. <laughs> so, so, so was that very Buffy-like? That oh yeah, yeah. It had, yeah. It had a real Buffy vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that is again, like it seemed like a, a strong choice. I imagine there is probably a good call for some random monster generation tables. Mm-hmm. Like, it depends what system you're running it in. Mm. Like, yeah. we're, I'm, I'm sort of assuming D&D, if you're having Yeah, I'm trying to think how it would work in D&D, yeah. yeah. I, well, it I, could do. I would run Monster of the Week if I was going to do that. <laughs> no. you, could, you, could, you could do that in D&D. You could have a team yeah, of yeah. Monster Hunters or whatever. I did um, a, a campaign that was literally just like a Buffy-themed game, and we used a, a World of Darkness as a system. Right. Like So it, it kind of worked. Yeah, it was uh, Russ, didn't you just literally like the other week do a a random ge- encounter generation thing where you put mm. in the number of players and their level and then it generates an encounter? Or am I have I got that? Well, no, it doesn't generate. It's it's just the encounter building tools for yeah, yeah. trials and treasures. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't select any monsters for you. It just gives you uh, a budget. Oh, okay, but yeah. So um, if I was going to do it in advanced fifth edition, and quite frankly, that seems likely that I would do such a thing does sound like a thing you do. Mm-hmm. Then I'd probably uh, generate my encounter using the rules in Trials and Treasures and go for like the single biggest monster that we have. Then I'd look for the various signs and portents that such a monster might exist from mm. the monster entry. And then I'd work, sort of work backwards from there and like work it out yeah, how they would come across such a thing. Mm. Right. Probably throw in some exploration challenges that seems thematically thematically appropriate or risk in my own. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose the thing that's probably, like, the question that's lying there, like a rake in the grass, is, and how would you then tie all these into a meta plot? Because the yeah. X-Files would actually mm-hmm. be the ones I thought of as Monster of the Week rather than Star Trek, which, yeah. in my opinion, is strictly Planet of the Week. But, yeah, so the X-Files, they had, like, a big, long arc, so that, that would be... Uh, that would be interesting. To I would be inclined. Work. I would be inclined not to put in a meta plot and just make it strictly episodic. Nice. I think nice. That's, that's how I would go about it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Going more for like a strictly simulationist sort of thing. These are just random events that are happening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One thing I'd say as well is that if you can make sure each week the way you defeat the monster isn't the same. So sometimes, yeah, you oh, want to go God, in and yeah, kill it yeah, and smash yeah. it. Yeah. But if you have some variety, like one week there's a puzzle because you need to collect five different stones and do a ritual to yeah. get rid of it. Mm. Or, I don't know, something like that. I'd say if you can give it variety so that it's not just let's go in so and the, stab yeah, the so monster. The, so the mission each week. each week isn't just a fight, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Like Exalted 2nd Edition was quite good for that because often mm-hmm. you'd 
because you are basically at level one small gods, <laughs> you're going around mm-hmm. talking to local like you're, you're you're gods with a small g because you're exalted, etc. Like mm-hmm. there's essentially superheroes. You're going around dealing with local gods, like mm-hmm. there might be a god of a river or something, and they've been acting up. The villagers call in help, and you go around to say, "Sort it out, mate," or "We're gonna do you over." And then they say, "Well, I used to be fine, and they used to make sacrifices to me, and then they stopped." Yeah, oh, that's weird. What? And then you go around and investigate that mystery. And it turns out there's something else completely to blame. Just have a counselling session between the god and the the followers. Yeah, sounds yeah. like it's like a group yeah, therapy yeah. session. Yeah, 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 like marriage counselling, but for deities. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Right. Anyway, anyway, that I hope answers our official question of the week, monster of the week, official question of the week. We're going to send you a book. Enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Woo. Okay. So on to the news. Yeah. What's new? Wow, that was that was the most energetic I've been all week. Um, yeah, boy. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, gelatinous cube toy? I have. I have not. I mean, I don't Why know. Why was informed? Well, this is like <laughs> um, it's big enough to fit six-inch scale D and D action figures inside. Mm-hmm. So it's big. It's not for use as a miniature. It's a toy. I, I don't um, feel that my face is properly coming across over the medium of a well, podcast. It's kind of. It's, kind of but t- it's like t- a mix of horror and interest. It's sort of yeah. intrigued horror. It's yes. kind of a tie-in for the movie. On yeah. Among Thieves, although they haven't actually announced any other toys other than that, yeah. as in any action figures for you to actually put inside of it as of yet. But yeah. presumably they're coming, I guess. Action figures of the characters of Chris Pine and that lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the promo image has Chris Pine inside mm. a gelatinous cube. Mm. <laughs> well, in the trailer, with... in the trailer, he does jump into one, doesn't he? Which is uh, a bold oh. choice. Yeah, it, it is definitely a thing you could do. Mm. So I, I mean, I don't think any of us are shocked. We imagine there'll be a whole line of toys and accessories linked to the movie. Oh coming. god, yeah, the whole brand thing is going to be this, massive. Yeah, this is just the first thing that we've heard of as well. And we've we've got little like stickery things and stuff that you can stick on the outside, so it looks like it's floating inside the cube. Mm. I'm just waiting for the plushy mimic myself. Um, but I'm sure there's like loads of those out there already. Yeah, I, bet, I, am... I bet you can get a plushy mimic right now if you want one. If that's on like your Christmas food. list, good to know. I am almost sure. <laughs> that's basically... the holiday sorted for you, Peter. <laughs> well, well, basically, um, I've always had a soft spot for them. And then I realised that the luggage from Terry Pratchett's uh, Rincewind series is basically a walking mimic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Not kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so my, my mimics... Uh, we'll have hundreds of little legs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just because it will confuse people who haven't read Ato Pratchett. Yeah. Okay, sure, sure, sure. We've got some previews of Spelljammer Adventures in Space. What? Amazing. Let's so we've see. We've got a look at the Astral Elves. We've got a look at the Hadozi, which is a sort of monkey ape type race. They're like flying squirrels. Like flying squirrels, yeah. They're flying monkeys. Um, They're winged monkeys. Uh, kind, kind of, yeah, I guess, because we saw the we saw the hippogriff, hippogriffs, no, the uh, uh, the griffs, griffs, the gif, the gif. yes, yeah. God. not to be confused with the gif, Completely different. Yes, um, we saw those last week. So now, so now, um, up on D and D Beyond, you can look at the astral elves and you can look at the Hadozi. Should you wish to do so, let's see. Hmm. They went so straight the, to the Hadozi. No, Hadozi yeah. to be first. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the Astral Elves themselves, let's have a look at the sneak peek. So it's on D&D Beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't actually get the stats, it's just 
a, no, a but bunch they, of information about them. So yes. they can basically teleport yeah. as a bonus yeah. action. Yeah. They can use divine cantrips and they can tap into the knowledge of the infinite multiverse and pick up new proficiencies after a long rest. Ooh. So that's their kind of thing. So they're quite like versatile. Yeah. They're basically space elves is what they are. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. And there's a video on all the lore on the page there as well. Yeah, so, if you wanted um, to go into real detail, yeah. 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 And then the old Hadozi, which is kind of like... They they originally came from Star Frontiers, bizarrely, oh, okay. which oh. is an interesting topic, <laughs> given, oh. given what Star Frontiers is doing right now. Um, mm. But they originally came from Star Frontiers, <laughs> and they're a little more sci-fi than fantasy. Mm. They kind of feel like more like sci-fi aliens than they do sort of... Um, Fantasy creatures, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so they're they're basically monkey-like adventurers, which kind of have a sort of Planet of the Apes kind of vibe to them. But I really don't like their flying monkey kind of skin flesh like bat wing things in the artwork because they are like connected to their hands and connected to their back, and they kind of hang like a cape, like this drapey. Place. And I just feel that they get caught on things. Yeah, it looks. Ooh. It looks That's like cool. it looks a recipe for disaster. Like they're going to catch it on the door handle when they walk through, and I mm. imagine that'd be. Pay- and it just, I really don't like the no. flesh <laughs> wings because they're all the same skin tone as the the creatures themselves. So it mm. just looks very. It just looks like a person with weird flesh skin wing blanket yeah. things, and Ooh. I, I don't like it. Don't like and it. that's my review. <laughs> <laughs> But how does he? We tried them, but we didn't like them. Oh. I just the artwork just Creeps feels a bit. I don't know. It's just a bit. Well, a bit in that case, if the how does he are not to your liking, what about a book that tells you how to build Federation Star Trek starships for Star Trek? As long as there's not Ooh, flesh wings, in. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there are no flesh wings. Excellent. So this is Utopia Planitia, Planitia, mm-hmm. Planitia Starfleet Sourcebook. And um, Utopia Planitia are the um, location, I think, on Mars, or orbiting Mars, where they build mm-hmm. star starships in the Federation. Oh, it's like the, the big yeah. sort of star starship building plant. Get your and own this is, space elevator. Sounds good. Yeah. And this is a source book, which basically allows you to design your own starships. Nice. Um, so it's coming out in October. Mm-hmm. 61 of those there American dollars. Mm. And... I really like this, because my favourite facet of Star Trek book was yeah. always the Starship Construction Manual. And this yeah. is kind of like, I think, Modifius's 2D20 version of that. Mm. I yeah. love that book, and I used to like... And, you know, when I made What's Old is New, I was heavily inspired by that with the Starship Construction Rules and that as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, this is, this is like, Starship building construction books are totally my jam. They're right Ooh. there for me. Yeah, well, like we said before, if you do it right, then the ship mm. is a character in the, in yeah. the story, so... Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to Wizards of the Coast, by the way, mm. there was one of their quarterly earnings reports from Hasbro for quarter two. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And Wizards of the Coast is still doing very well. They yep. made a lot of money. Yeah. Tabletop gaming is up 15%. Wow. So I'm just quickly reading this. Magic the Gathering increased by 11%. So that seems to be below the overall 15% that tabletop <laughs> gaming's done. Yes. Wow. So it looks like Magic Gathering is like lagging slightly behind. Um, but yeah, 15% overall, whereas the digital segment, only 3%, which will be like, um, the video games and stuff like that. Ooh. Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance. Um, so 
Yeah, um, I mean, this also includes, like, they, they bought D&D Beyond for, like, one and a half million, $150 million. Well, we, won't, we won't see that until the third quarter. We won't see, like, the mm. revenue from that. You won't see the revenue, but presumably you're going to see the cost of the acquisition. Mm. Which uh, means that, yeah, I guess. Which means, which means that, they, you know, if tabletop gaming's up overall 15%, despite having spent all that money, that's really yeah. good, I guess. Yeah, they don't. I mean, in the report, they don't specifically cite the Dungeons and Dragons line, but mm. I think we can glean from that, from between the lines of the information we have, that that means that product line is really carrying a yeah. large chunk of it. I mean, it's kind of interesting because the last time we looked at some stats, it it was the D and D was down slightly from last year, but that was because last year there was a big thing with a video game, mm-hmm. which there wasn't this year. Mm-hmm. And it could be okay. So they're actually including other things other than the tabletop game itself when they say Dungeons and Dragons. So that actually makes it a little less clear to me whether they're talking about the D and D role playing game or whether they're talking about licensed products and video games and plushies and action oh, figures wow. and stuff as well. I'm, so yeah, I'm not one hundred percent sure how that works. Mm. Right. Yeah, obviously, okay. the video game market is so absolutely incredibly huge. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. So it's hard to tell. It's almost like they don't. It's, it's like they don't want to share a very detailed reports of their business with us. Publicly. Well, kind of, but these so are really? reports. They have to because it's for shareholders. Yeah, and sh- you know, shareholders need that information. So mm. you know, and it's a publicly available information. So you, you kind of have to really. Mm. It's a publicly yeah. traded company. You can't. You can't. You can't hide it that much. It's not oh. a private company like ours. Oh yeah, that's oh. true. Yeah. So. If anyone's curious, we did not make as much money as Hasbro did in Q2 of 2022. <laughs> we certainly oh. didn't spend $150 million on a tabletop platform. <laughs> no, no, we did not. The A5e.tools site did not There are people that, that go to me and says, I, I hope A5e.calls becomes as good as D&D Beyond at some point. And I, I, I kind of think, well, I hope it does too. But bear in, bear in mind, D&D Beyond costs $150 million. So we would have to make... Team. We would, several ha- years. we would have to make millions and millions of dollars as a company to do that. Mm, many, many millions of dollars. All right. It's not I'll, impossible. I'll, I'll try. Let's get started. You yeah. took, yeah. took me on as the business manager. I'll give it a go. <laughs> yeah. Give it a go. It, aim high if you merely end up with hundreds of thousands of dollars, then that's still quite a good good effort, I'm told, I feel. Yeah. Well, I think we can manage that. Yeah. yeah. We can manage hundreds of thousands. Millions is a little more difficult. Wow, yes. sort of about scale. Well, that all mm. depends on how the Dungeon Delver's Guide Kickstarter goes. <laughs> yeah. In talking August. Of, talking oh, of Kickstarter. So I'm so excited about that. That's going to be a, a contender for a billion, a billion dollar? Million dollar Kickstarter, not a billion dollar. I thought you said a billion, then I was like, <laughs> I need to look at this because I haven't heard about that. Whoa, no, this is a million dollar. So this is uh, called Steinhardt's Guide to the Eldritch Hunt mm-hmm. for 5e. It's from Monkey DM. Mm-hmm. A new creator, their first Kickstarter, nice. is currently on $938,000 with oh, wow. over two weeks to go. So it's easily going to hit a million dollars. And that's snuck the, up. This is like, the first project they've ever done. Yep. Yep. That, it is quite Oh, impressive. they do other stuff in the community, though. So this isn't like the first thing they've done in, in yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I thought this, they were just uh, a complete new person. I was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, this, this project also. Lovecraft inspired. Yes. Yeah. I can see why people have just been hammering that block button. But well, all, yes, that's also, if, you, if you look at all the stuff you can get with it, there's tons and tons and tons of added bits, dice mm. sets, weapon cards, card decks, mm. bonus adventures, um, uh, character sheets. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Of, there's, oh, dice, there's so there's, much of there's, badges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's loads and loads and loads of add-on stuff, which is kind of, if you want to be a million-dollar Kickstarter, you almost certainly oh, yeah, have yeah. all that stuff. If you're just selling a book or a couple of books, it's, it is a much harder Oh, who process. reads books? Yeah. They're just full of rules. Oh, yeah. uh, this is the paraphernalia. This is the loot. I yeah. This is what you're after. I read books. I read well, well, looking at Monkey DM appears to have a Patreon. Yes. Which is, which you can sign up for. And Ooh. it looks like it's been around for ages. It's got a couple of thousand patrons making 10 Ooh. grand per month. Nice. You know, it's a big, big old Patreon there. Yeah, yeah they, they, they have dwarfs, a following. It dwarfs, yeah. it dwarfs our Patreons. Yeah. And then um, YouTube, 103,000 subscribers on YouTube as well. So they've got a big following. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the thing is, it's making a lot of money, but it's on, what, about 7,252 backers, which mm. is an absolute ton of people, but also not that many. It's only halfway through the campaign, though. It so is it's only halfway through the campaign. It's going to end in the 15,000 backers range, isn't it? Oh, oh. I guess. We don't guess. know, but yeah. Uh, and, and certainly in terms of traditional RPG metrics... It is doing very well. It's got, what, over 350 pages? Mm. That is a fairly chunky boy yeah. you got there. I think I actually said what it is. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, <laughs> No, it's a, it's a D&D 5e, and it's kind of a Lovecraft-inspired setting, it looks like to me. Mm-hmm. There's lots of tentacly monsters and eldritch stuff and nightmares and madness, that sort of thing. Those words are sprinkled everywhere. So, four grimdark adventures, all new madness system with 100 insane flaws and boons, unique loner phase mechanic with world-altering moves, loads of stuff. It's essentially doing the job of making D&D a lot more grimdark, mm. so you can go mad while you're fighting giant monsters that will also be much better than you. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, uh, and it's got the keyword of Soulsborne there, which I guess means it's going to be very very hard, and you can expect to uh, suffer. Is that a video game? What? So, uh, Soulsborne refers mm. to a genre of video games, like Dark oh, Souls. Elden Ring, I think, is the latest one. Basically, they're games where you have to memorise a very precise sequence of moves in order to win fights. Mm-hmm. And for me, personally, mm-hmm. I think this sounds like a terrible plan, and I can think of nothing that would make me rage quit faster. But <laughs> lots of people super are super into it. And they're very striking visuals, and it's a very strong aesthetic. And from the little I know, not playing the games myself, this is definitely nailing that aesthetic. So I'm like, yeah, no, I could, I could see you just have to show this with Dark Souls fan, and I'll be like, oh, that looks really cool. Yeah, there, let me get into that. Uh, right, there was another Kickstarter I wanted to mention. So this is by Steve Jackson Games, and it was Pathfinder Revolution. So it was a team up with Paizo, a licensed thing, but it's been cancelled. Oh. oh. What? So, That's um, yeah, so they cancelled it on July the 28th. So that was yesterday. Mm. And looking at it, it looks like it was cancelled because they crunched the numbers and it looked like it just wasn't working for some reason. And Steve Jackson Games is a pretty yeah. major but, RPG company. And Paizo is as well. GURPS. So it's, yeah. GURPS yeah. times Paizo, I thought, would be amazing success. Yeah. And this is a board game. Oh, board okay. games usually do pretty well as well. Yeah. Um, but it made about, you know, half of its funding goal with about 400 backers when they decided to cancel it. And they're going to relaunch it, apparently. They've crunched the numbers, it's not working, and they're going to relaunch it. And I'm wondering if, like, by that, they kind of mean, like, the shipping wasn't working or something like that. Well, with with board games, your Mm. minimum order quantity you look at for a big game like that to make it worthwhile, you're looking at about one to 2,000 units you need to sell. Mm. 
And that's yeah. just, and that's the lowest you want to kind of do. Like a lot yeah. of um, larger manufacturers won't take orders less than 2000. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you do, the setup cost is so high because getting a mold made for one mini mm. is can be in the mm. thousands for a plastic mm. one. Yeah. So, so you need to be expecting to shift a lot of tiny plastic uh, dudes to make your money back. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's all about scale. So, yeah. I mean, that's probably why. Yeah, if you had 500, you can get some like camp manufacturers that will make it at 500 units for you, but the cost per mm. unit mm. would just be so much. And then, oh, yeah, as yeah, Russ yeah. said, you put shipping on top of that because you have to get mm. it made in China because that's where all the factories are. Mm. So, yeah, that makes sense. Board games yeah. would be like that. I, I mean, yeah. it's something I hadn't heard of. I would have expected to have seen something about it. Mm. So maybe they're just not getting the advertising reach that they needed. No, I guess not. Yeah. It's Fair so enough. tough to know. Mm. Right. Mm. Or maybe, it was, maybe, maybe it just didn't look like an interesting game. I don't know. It seems unlikely. I have some... Gerps and Paizo, I, I'm just automatically intrigued. But sorry, you were saying. Did you back it, though? I didn't know it existed until I was told it had to stop <laughs> existing. That's why it failed. I have a Kickstarter I'd like to talk about that's coming really? out next week. Uh, it's, it's not mine. Oh. I do. We do actually in publishing have one live now till death to us part, which is only on Tuesday. Please buy that too. But um, the one that's not ours, um, yeah. I want to promote is uh, one of the level up ones uh, by Sarah Brayfogle, uh The Stranger mm. Sights challenges for five E and advanced five E. So it does work with just regular D and D fifth edition. Um, but yeah, it's got loads of monsters, exploration challenges, uh, and micro settings for encounters and stuff like that. So all the kind of good stuff that we love that Level Up does. She's made mm. an expanded content for that as part of the third party things. So the uh, coming soon page is up at the moment, isn't it, I believe? Yeah. When, it is. Is it actually, when does it actually launch? Um, I believe it's next week. I think it's on Tuesday the 2nd, which is the same day that Ooh. the Starcross Seaway returns. Yeah, boy! Which Sarah is the narrator for, so yeah. she's a very busy, busy person. Busy, 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 yeah. She's busy with level up stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, I just, I've seen that, and the artwork and the graphic design looks really cool. Yes. And yeah, and um, Sarah's an excellent writer, so I thought that would be good. Yes. Mm. Uh, 189 backers at the moment. It definitely deserves more. It's going to increase the number of challenges that are currently in print in the flip from 80 to 120. Mm -hmm. So that is a massive percent increase. Uh, It's not just Sarah's work. There is also a co-creator whose name I completely forgotten. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure she's actually told me. Just like, I I know they're Lord of the Morning on the uh, Level Up Discord. So yeah, fair play to him. But yeah, it's it's one that I am just going to be hammering that backing button as soon as it goes live. Because, quite frankly, I need more exploration challenges. Right then, I think we've finished the news. So, do both of you know what the best thing about HeroQuest is? Yes, yes. I have seen the video many times. It's very funny. Well, I don't think you do, because the best thing is now the expansion, the Frozen Horror, which is coming out. So the expansion is coming out, and it's the same... Um, it's like very similar to the original 1990s one that came out for the original mm. Hero Quest. And Hero Quest is technically is a board, no, not technically is a board game, but yeah. it was my first like foray into role playing games, and it was my mm. gateway drug, if you will, mm. into role playing games. And mm. I think it has a big nostalgia factor for other people, so I wanted to mention that. Um, but yeah, so it's an expansion. So if you've bought the new version of Hero Quest and you're playing that, um, I play with my nephew and niece who are like seven and eleven, and they love it. I'm slowly mm-hmm. turning them into nerds, which Woo. is my. If that's not your aim as an aunt or uncle, what are you doing? But yeah, so it's got oh, loads okay. of new figures and like yeah. content and dice and maps, and you get ten new adventures. But interestingly, 
this Frozen Horror expansion does what the original one does, where the Barbarian has some solo adventures first, and stuff oh. and things happens, and then the rest of the party rejoin them. Okay. So if you play your Hero Quest games very much like a role-playing game, which is what I do for my niece and nephew, because it's very simple mm. rules, so they can get it and play it, um, mm. this would be a really interesting addition to that. Okay. It is a bit... Pri- I mean, well, it's the price board games are, really. It's forty four yeah. ninety nine. But and it's going to be shipped out in September time, so I think it could be like a nice Christmas present if you have people in your life that like Hero Quest. That's quite a nice Christmas present sort of thing. I, I I'm quite intrigued by it. Um, my first tabletop role playing game was Fighting Fantasy, but before mm-hmm. that, I was Hero Quest with my little brother, and yeah. also Advanced Hero Quest, mm-hmm. which was uh, the most expensive trip to Cornwall ever because we were like, oh, Games Workshop, oh, we should have a look in that when it opens. Mm-hmm. queue many years and many many hundreds of pounds having been spent mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't want to think about how much money we, we gave to games workshop but yeah so that was uh that hero quest was a big gateway for nerdy stuff to me uh and they brought out the what's it kellar's keep which is full of orcs and goblins mm-hmm. and the return of the witch king i haven't seen the new wizards of morkar or the ogres because i couldn't i, could, I got i got to play wizards of morkar mm-hmm. but i never got, got my hands on the ogres so i was a bit sad about that when i saw mm-hmm. the new ones but this this new stuff sounds exciting. I'm very interested. Yeah, I mean it is. I don't know. I don't know how to frame it differently for you, Peter. I'm excited about no. it. It's just yeah. I. I think for me, excited. I. I think a lot of adults that play Hero Quest for the first time without the nostalgia might not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> like I. I think is that a really fair maybe, statement? Maybe. I think it's I, one I, of those. I, I think, you yeah, know, yeah. there are some films as well that you you watched as a child and now you look at them and you're like wow and i love it for the nostalgia and someone comes in cold with it and they're like what is this mm. i think hero quest is one of those things um mm-hmm. but i think if you've grown up with it or if you it's great for children i think so if you yeah. have like i say my niece and nephew seven and eleven mm-hmm. it's a great way to introduce them to the concept of role playing and that you're playing a character and kids come up with the best names for their characters nice. like my niece's character is called ava spider girl Solid. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean I there, there are I I tell you without having looked myself, but one hundred percent sure that they exist. There are a lot of hacks of the rule set of Hero Quest to make it more suitable for the discerning board gamer's palette. But also, yes, I think yeah. I think I think if you if you come into it with people who are super enthusiastic about it, you'll yeah. probably have a good time. Like. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. As soon as you mentioned films, I was thinking, I was thinking my Jess, and I was thinking Goonies. She yeah. did not like that film. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's so good. Oh, but yes, okay, I see where you're coming from. But oh, it's so good. And it's just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Looking back, there's a lot of issues with that film, but just like, I have the nostalgia factor that you do as well. Yeah, so I'm yeah. like, never mind, yay. Um, but here it goes a bit like that. But yeah, so I want to share that bit of news. Um, yeah, so the. Exciting. Yeah, so the Hero Quest for Rose and Horror um, little expansion is coming out. So if you've played through all your adventures in Hero Quest, don't worry, mm-hmm. there's more. Woo. And I think with that, that is actually the news. Yes. Did we mention Dungeons & Dragons movie stuff? Well, we talked about it a lot last week. Was there more yeah. news? Well, we had some a bit of new stuff come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're starting, basically, we're going to get, I think, a steady drip of marketing info between now and March when the movie yes. releases. That, that, um, that being how movies work, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah all right, all right. 
Um, But we do have a little bit of uh, news this week. So the um, producers talked about the involvement that Wizards of the Coast had with the project. Um, Mm -hmm. So they were saying how they were involved, like with the writing and creativity the whole way through. And so they believe that fans of Dungeons and Dragons, they're going to see the game reflected in it as a result of that. But they said Mm -hmm. they've also tried to balance it for if people don't know the game very well. It's just a fun movie to watch. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they talked all about how Wizards of the Coast was involved, which I think some people that got annoyed about the Albert situation were like, they don't know Dungeons and Dragons, but I think it's, um, I think they have been involved in that. Mm. But yeah, I, I yeah. think almost every week we'll probably have a little something to say about it because yeah, I think they'll, they'll tease bits and pieces. But there's just. Well, well, a well, well DM Sarah released a, cir- uh, a druidic circle that lets you play, has any sort of, uh, lets you shape change into any monstrosity that you choose. I was like, there you go. Now it's official. Without it being mechanically be silly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there will be, without doubt, a hardcover based on the movie which contains that ability. Sometime oh, next yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's guaranteed, yeah. 100% yeah. Is it a feat? Is it a special circle? Is it both? Know. We don't know! But that's it's definitely going to happen. Because of course it's going to happen because like it, it's just been far too long and actually, to be fair, it's something that people uh, have complained about before. It's like, oh, I want to be an Albert. Oh, you can't. It's, why not? It's not a beast, it's a monstrosity. Mm. Ah, anyway, more okay. fun, let's go. I think we are done with the okay. news now. Yeah. Hey, you guys, did you see the new Batteries and Bear Owls movie? Yeah, I, I did see it. I'm, I'm not too sure about it. What do you mean? It was awesome! Did you see the special effects? Oh, the special effects were good, but it wasn't really... Burrows and Bear Owls now, was it? What, what do you mean? Of course it was. Oh, yeah? Well, it didn't much resemble any game of Burrows and Bear Owls I've ever played. Yeah, like, when they went in that wizard's lair, and not one of them tried to seduce the Bear Owl. Like, what sort of gamers were these? <laughs> I think you might have missed the point. The movie isn't supposed to reflect a tabletop game. It's an entirely different experience. <laughs> entirely different is right. That one guy, he died... Did his twin brother immediately show up and take his place? I think not. Well, it did start in a tavern, so there's that at least, right? Uh, yeah, I, I had high hopes at the start. But, you know, let's face it, it, it went downhill from there. Downhill? A cast of Oscar-winning actors performed in one of the most enjoyable action comedies of the year, and it went downhill? If they were all so good, why did not one of them make a Monty Python joke? Also, did you see how they were all able to arrange their schedules to ensure they were all present at the same time? <laughs> no Barrows and Bear House gaming group in history of ever has ever managed that. But if they weren't all in the movie at the same time, there wouldn't be a movie. Well, some might argue there barely was. <laughs> <laughs> we won't even mention that arcane missile spell. Arcane missile? What was wrong with that? Okay, you know perfectly well. On page 382 of the BNB Player's Guide, an arcane missile conjuration is described as being a, definitely like a bluish colour. And yet, in this movie, it was clearly orange. It's a travesty. Look, I think you're being entirely unfair. Barrels and Barrels is a, is a brand. The movie is not supposed to be exactly the same as the game. It's its own thing. Okay, well, they clearly don't understand the Barrels and Barrels community then. I mean, I'm, we, I'm not going to stand for it. We won't stand for it. Yep, we're going to boycott the film. But you've, you've already seen the film. Yeah, but like only twice. So I won't be seeing it a third time. That'll hit them in the box office, that's what I say. It's made $1.4 billion at the box office already. I think that ship has sailed, my friend. $1.4 billion For that pile of junk? 
Ridiculous. They've already started making the sequel. Oh, yeah, right. I bet they won't even put any barrows in it. Or barrows. You know, I'm going to go see Mazes and Ratlings uh, 16 again. A nice, traditional Rats in the Basement movie. Yeah, at least they get the rules right. Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right. Don't forget patreon.com slash morris. Can I go now? Have either of you ever been involved in a playtest process? Uh, yes. Yes. And how did that go for you? What, what did that look like from your point of view? Hmm. Well, I was in a playtest with Jess for Star Trek ship-to-ship combat rules. Right. And it went along fairly well till we got to the bit, I guess, that they were playtesting. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they were playtesting. I don't know. But the, the, the ship-to-ship thing did not work out very well at all because they didn't really seem to get what they were about. Mm. And that was, like, a bit of a jarring experience. Mm. I've also been in a Salvage Union playtest. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was quite interesting. That was, uh, but I, I think it's like it depends on how much crunch you want to have in your playtest. Mm. The more crunch you want there to be, like it can be more tricky to implement it because often the GM is learning it at the same time as the players, or like mm. maybe a little bit. They're like learning all the twiddly bits. So, did you have to give feedback on this playtest, and how did that work? Uh, giving feedback has varied. I think. Uh, probably the most useful feedback we gave were the bits we liked and the bits we didn't like. Like, uh, we probably made suggestions on how to fix these things, but that is something that non-game designers, which is very much how I would be at that time, is probably not going to be that great because you don't really know. People are very good at knowing what they do and do not like. And when they tell you what they do and do not like, you should 100% listen to them. But how to fix it is maybe something that isn't quite... Yeah. Something that they well, tradition, traditionally, it's basically a playtest packet followed by a survey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how Wizards of the Coast does it. That's how mm-hmm. Paizo yeah. does it. That's how mm-hmm. we do it. It's like, yeah, that's the, that's the usual way of doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The survey is very much the playtest packet is put out there specifically to get specific information. Yes. Yeah. And that does mean that some things might be in there that they know won't be received well. Or mm-hmm. some things might be exaggerated beyond the point where they should work properly or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's okay. designed, so it's not necessarily, they're not necessarily saying this is the final game. What do you think of it? Mm. It is very much designed to get specific information. Okay. And then the, and the survey mm. then will ask questions to feedback that specific information in aggregate from a lot of different playtest groups right. to yeah company but of course also mm. you get the individual playtest things where, mm-hmm. um, obviously a company itself, there's internal playtesting, uh-huh. or they hire groups, and I think we're going to be doing this, to do mm-hmm. playtesting basically on camera for us. Yeah. 
and uh, we can then watch those videos. I mean, not, they're not for distribution or anything, not for publication, but just for internal oh, so, use. Oh, so you don't want people to stream their games? So no, 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 this, no, no. This is very yeah. much for no, internal use. Not for playtests, right. So we watch them, and then yeah. we watch carefully to see where it's going wrong, where the pain points are, where the difficult bits are, where people are getting confused, mm. where, where the game's grinding to a halt, where it's flowing well, and that sort of thing. Mm. So that's there's, the other sort of playtesting, like a focus uh-huh. group, I guess. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think with playtesting, there's like two kind of parts in my well, there's more than two, but the, the the two bits I separate is there's playing the game to ask questions and see what works and doesn't mechanically, but there's also the blind playtesting bit, which is what we're planning on doing this to check if the way the mm-hmm. rules are written mean that the players can play the game you intended as the designer. Because we mm. all know when you're a bit too close mm. to something, you don't see it. Like if you write some mm. rules to a game because you know the game you might miss out something very obvious because yeah. to you it seems so obvious that you don't say anything but to yeah, other yeah. people it's really easy to miss and like it's not related to games but my favorite example of this is in rome the stones they they use their construction the way they made cement archaeologists couldn't figure it out for absolutely ages and they had the ingredients and it said water but whenever they made it, it didn't work right and they eventually figured out it was seawater yes. that needed for that but it yeah, didn't yeah, specifically yeah. say that because it was so obvious to the Romans, mm-hmm. like, of course you use seawater when you're like, it's not worth saying. In the same way that for recipe books now, we put eggs in, we don't say they're mm. chicken eggs. So maybe in like yeah, a thousand yeah. years, they'll be like, they're with caviar trying to make a cake and being like, why isn't this working? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because like, it just says yeah. egg. And it's like, yeah. there's a, so, yeah. so that. Yeah. It's just it, something that they assume it, is obvious. Yeah. The information that was like widely known at the time, I think, mm-hmm. I think it was like maybe pre Victorian, but there were three. There were three uh, condiment jars that everyone had on their table. Salt, pepper, and a third one. Hmm. And no one has any idea what the third one was for. Hmm. Like, they got Good. sets of three, and they're like, what was this for? I don't know. Um, is what I've been told. But yeah, exactly. So it's like something yeah. as obvious as you got salt and pepper shaker, and you're... The third. Something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but... sugar, mustard. Who knows? So... It got to be something that was available, but what was yeah, it? No, don't I don't know. know. But like yeah. when you put that concept to, to, to rules, you don't want to oh. explain everything so much in detail that it's like, yeah, we get the point. But so mm. it's finding that balance between this. So it's obvious to somebody picking it up and playing it what's going on, but that you're not going so far into detail that the rule book is, you know, yeah. a million yeah. pages long and they're not going to get through it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think when doing blind playtesting is so important when you're doing games because you don't want somebody there to kind of clarify the rules. Mm-hmm. We had that when we were playing a board game. There was a rule we weren't sure of, so we had to text the designer to check. And then we're like, okay, so if we go with this game, we will need to make sure that's clear in the rule book. Cause, yeah, so mm-hmm. you know. this is this is an example I was I was about to say, is that when, when mm-hmm. if we put out a playtest packet, mm-hmm. people will always start asking questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the point is you can't answer that question. Yeah, yeah, because they're not. They are then not playtesting the playtest packet. They're playing yeah. the playtest packet with a, a designer standing aside mm-hmm. with advice, yeah, which yeah, is a exactly. totally different thing. <laughs> They've got to playtest it as it is, as though they're at home without access to a designer. Mm-hmm. The to come rules and explain have it. to be standalone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't. Yeah. You can't have someone explaining what they meant or what the intention yeah. was or anything like that. You've got to. Mm. You've got to playtest what's literally there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it doesn't work and you can't understand it, that's the feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Of course, I suppose that would require you to have DMs that, when they didn't understand something, what would they do? Like, they'd take notice of it, or would they just make stuff up? <laughs> well, that's another thing now, but if you start doing that, if you start homebrewing it, then you're not uh, playtesting the material, are you? Yeah. So you're playtesting your own homebrews at that point. Mm. So, uh, which, which may be better, who knows? Yeah, maybe better, but that's, but that's not yeah. particularly useful well, information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. You, have to, you don't have to tell them what your homebrew is. They can say, oh, well, about yeah. that. <laughs> but that's why we want it videoed so we can watch it so we can see mm. that happening in kind of real mm. time. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. So you have a whole yeah. mix. So you basically have the three approaches, don't you? So you have the internal yeah. playtesting, which you do yeah. yourselves. Mm-hmm. You have the big poster packet and survey, which is a mass data gathering exercise. Mm-hmm. And then you have the focus group approach, mm-hmm. which is the one that you watch and play in blind. Yeah. yeah. And, and see how that goes. Yeah. But it's certainly, you need, I think, like a certain amount of empathy to do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, by which I mean the, the technical term for empathy is the ability to experience another's a frame of reference as if it was your own without losing the as if quantity, quality mm. about it. So in that case, for me, it's like I, I have various sort of hats that I switch between, <laughs> like my gate, my GM's hood, obviously, uh, my, uh, player's pointy hat with like the little, uh, bell on top. And also my designer hat to like resolve how I'd fix all that. Hmm. So, and that's, that's how I get a lot of stuff done, just switching between yeah. it and seeing how it would feel. Because ultimately mm. you're after the emotional experience. All, all mm-hmm. decent story material is trying to evoke an emotional experience. If you don't have that first and foremost in your head, what emotional experience I'm trying to do, it makes it very hard to design. Yeah. Um, and you can get caught up in producing. As designers, I've seen and have occasionally done myself, you get caught up in producing these like amazingly little intricate machines, which are very exciting and the maths do all sorts of Heath Heath Robertson things. And yeah, yeah, exactly. But without the right theme Mm -hmm. and without the right emotional understanding of it, then it's useless. Like Mm. I think probably the one I read best was where someone talked about a game where you roll dice, you move around a board, and occasionally get blown up by a landmine. It was all at random, (laughs) and then. They said, and actually, that is what the different scene makes because I'm describing Monopoly. I'm like, oh, yes. So that was quite an eye opener. Hmm. Both, both excellent analogies for the millennial experience. Hmm. <laughs> Oof, grim. Anyway, <laughs> but fair. Anyway. It's okay. Hmm. I'm doing okay. I've got my companion cube here. I'll be fine. Hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the things we do, companion cube. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Yes. So one of the things we get when we do playtests is obviously yeah. we do the big playtest packets and the surveys, then we get all the uh, data back. What we have to do is cut off the tops and the bottoms of the data. Because you'll get these people that will just go through and give everything zero and everything ten. And those that's not really useful data for us. We need more nuance nuance on that. If you if if you just hate everything and everything's zero, then you that's just not information. This this will never be a game for you. If you hate everything about it and really enjoy the experience at all, then it's just not for you. And I think this is a standard marketing uh, 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 market analysis, re- market research mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Is like, I've forgotten the word for it, but you chop off the tops and the bottoms. Mm. Um, so the really extreme stuff, you chop, you chop that off. Yeah. And then you go with what's in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're getting rid of extreme outliers and focusing yeah. on yeah. what's in the normal distribution. Yeah. Because yeah. you always get, without fail, you will always get, and it will be early in the playtest, probably faster than they could possibly have playtested it. Mm. Like, you put the playtest packet out and it's sort of like 12 minutes later. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got zero, 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 all the way down. It's like, well, what's the point? I mean, you didn't play. Why, this. why are you wasting everyone's time? <laughs> yeah, because you, you, yeah, clearly they just looked at it and said, "This isn't, this isn't for me." You disagree with the concept philosophically, and yeah, <laughs> usually because the word diversity is in it or something, and <laughs> sometimes, yeah, weird, weird. yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess getting feedback that was also entirely positive is also unhelpful. It's like from people who really love the stuff and are like, yeah, no, it's all brilliant. Everything's brilliant. 
Yeah, you need you, you don't you you you're gonna get rid of the extreme outliers. Yeah, yeah. So so you're looking for sort of um, yeah informed criticism. Yeah, or just real nuanced opinions rather yeah. than reactions. Yeah, yeah. I guess well, rather than you, emotional yeah. reactions. You want, you, you want the emotional reaction as well. That's depends what you depends what your playtesting packets there for. The, yeah. Different playtesting packets are there for different things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sometimes you are very specifically looking at for the functionality of particular mechanics, and that is what your the information you are after at that time. Okay, and that's that's you know, and that's what your survey will be geared to gather that that information. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. You know, whereas another playtest might deal with other aspects of the same thing, mm. like how you feel about it or whatever. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But sometimes the playtest is very much geared towards gaining specific information mm-hmm. that you need. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I th- so I think that's why in the survey they'll ask specific questions. And I'll say that to anyone that's planning on doing playtests is don't just do a, what did you think? Because it's so open and it's so hard mm. for the person playing well, to if give... You, well, if you've got yeah. a lot of people as well, mm. I mean, like with our level up ones... Mm. We got at times like tens of thousands of people responding. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of free text to process. Yeah, you have yeah. to do that numerically. You can't, you can't, you literally cannot have just text boxes and but, stuff like but that. But also, even if you are just sat around a table with four people and they've played your game, I, I think mm. just having structure and questions to, to things you want. Is yeah. really important. I think give yeah. people space to make little free comments as well in case there's something. Obvious, you didn't think to ask, which can happen. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I think structuring it's important. I think what's your mm-hmm. general opinion of a thing is probably going to be, yeah, it's right. I quite liked mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. which is a little bit helpful. But for, when you're looking for improvement, it, I guess you're trying to think of specific aspects to examine. So you, you liked it, great. Um, was there anything you disliked? I guess is the next bit. And it's things what with did you think of with balance. This set rules. Okay. Mm. Like because you can crunch numbers like for balance yeah. in a spreadsheet or behind the scenes and think it works that way, but then when players yeah. get it in reality, they play it this way. So actually, it's not very balanced. Whereas on paper, mm-hmm. it would be. So there's things like that that come out that you have to check yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, and of course, you've got to do the opposite thing: is make sure things aren't too focused on balance, because then yeah. everything just becomes very much a drive kind of yeah, the same kind yeah. of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that was to retread old ground. A criticism that was perhaps unfairly leveled at fourth edition D anD D that everything felt the same, that everyone was basically the same, which I don't think, as well as can make out, was entirely true, but was definitely something that was said. If that it's, it's something that people felt, yeah. and yeah, and like yeah. you say, you have like the mechanical, technical questions, and then you have in role playing yeah. games, especially. How does it feel? Does it, you yeah. know, because sometimes that matters more than the reality. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Triant Monk famously did their God Wizard essay where they were talking about being a wizard, and they mm. went from being like sort of a blaster caster to uh, just changing the environment to be how they wished it to be, mm. and then suddenly it changed the whole campaign, but the other players apparently mocked him for it because it's like, well, you're not killing anything. It's like, mm. that's not what I'm trying to do. My goal is to make the environment such that they can stop hurting us and you can do the job of killing things uh, mm. whilst I keep you alive. There, were, there, there was, I feel, like a silent brackets peasants in there, but yeah, maybe I'm just uh, <laughs> reading too much tone into it. It was, after all, not it was. It was a written essay that I read. But yeah, oh yeah, you can't apply that to, to writing. That's really unfair because you could. Yeah, the voice yeah, yeah. in your I, head I, has a lot to do with how you take that. 
Hmm. I, 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 yeah, like I say, uh, the silent peasants may or may not have been there, but um, <laughs> I have a look at that essay if you if you you should. It's uh, it's definitely intriguing, and I found it I found it an intriguing way to look at stuff. Hmm. Right. Oh yeah, so playtesting. It's obviously important. How much of it should you do? A lot. Okay. Uh, yeah, you should do a lot of playtesting. I think it's very easy to write stuff yourself, think it works, yeah. and put it out there without it really being subjected to the sort of rigors of the real world. And mm. when it gets out there, it's not as robust as you kind of felt it was. And it can be hard for you to see that in your own work. It's like editing yeah. your own work. Yeah. Mm. It can be very yeah. hard to see that in your mm. own work. Um, so yeah, a lot of playtesting is important. As much yeah. as you can do, as much as you can afford to do, as much as you've got time to do, as much as you can do, playtest. Because that will make or break something, definitely. Okay. But obviously budgets and of time yeah, 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 and yeah, goodwill yeah. of people to actually do the playtesting for you. Yeah, you're limited by ever what limitations you've got. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But so, so what, what would you say is the most important thing? Myself, it feels like player facing material is going to be the stuff that needs testing the most and the most frequently because mm-hmm. I guess players are the largest group of people rather than mm. the narrators. So that would be the people who need to. I guess so. I think generally it's world mm. systems rather. So like mm. an archetype or something yeah. for D and D. Yeah. Okay, it does need to be play tested, but mm. it's it's not so easy to completely break that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's quite easy to spot when something's quite broken just as you write it. Mm. Whereas an actual rules system, like we've got our mm. Starship Combat system for, um, Boydrunner's Codex. Codex. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going through playtests. And that's been, that's been written. Mm. But it needs to be, it's an actual new rule system. Mm. It needs to be given to people and for them to actually use it and played. And probably, and I suspect it will change a lot. Yeah, yeah, lot yeah. Throughout this playtesting process. Like, you know, I, I, expect and intend for it to yeah because that's basically how it works mm-hmm. it's a brand new rule system so much potential for it to go wrong yeah. yes um i actually came across a thread about this sort of thing on twitter mm-hmm. where someone had a picture of a vase which mm-hmm. had a chariot that was being pulled by dolphins cool and i was like what even is this doing in this thread about spaceship combat and mm-hmm. explained that any sort of maneuver based system either favours the dolphins, in which case they're great, but the people in the chariot are having a straight at a bad time, or it favours the people in the chariot, in which case your dolphins are like flopping around looking very sad. Um, and that I have is... no idea what that means. Yeah. Uh, basically... <laughs> this is not working for me at all. <laughs> I think we need more explanation. Yeah. Okay, so when you're doing spaceships, right. they are very fast moving and they can do all sorts of interesting manoeuvres, which right. generally you're Essentially, two-dimensional apes, which are your players, do not and your and their characters do not have access to. In this analogy, the dolphins are the starship. Okay, right? yeah, right. That was my right? question. And the players hung on the back are like the crew of the starship. Mm-hmm. So, right. if you have a situation such that dolphins have freedom of movement, they can go up, down, they can do all the cool stuff that dolphins are amazing for. Mm-hmm. But the players are just sort of. Everything's wet, and I'm cold, and I'm just being towed along here, and I don't really have any agency in this situation. Mm-hmm. Or you have stuff where the players have agency in the situation, but by doing so, you can tra- constrain the space, so the dolphins, the spaceships, are just really not relevant. 
they're there, but they are scenery. Right, gotcha. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. That makes more sense now. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, I gotta say, it was, it did require some explanation for me as well. It wasn't something, like I say, they, they just whacked a picture of a dolphin. Dolphins pulling a chariot into into the conversation like it was some mm. sort of yeah I'm not against perfectly regular thing. I was like I do not understand this, but as it was Ad Astra Games, I figured it was probably someone who actually knew what they were talking about. So mm. I figured it was worthwhile asking. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So that I mean, was very so, interesting. I mean, Starship Combat is notoriously hard to get right. Oh yeah, especially on tabletop because mm. everything is two dimensional, and this mm. is like. Well, even even ignoring that, I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm personally fine with just reducing it to two dimensions. It's fine, mm. whatever. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. You don't have to go Pythagoras and do height and all that stuff. It's just that's, that's complexity, which I don't think adds to the fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I'm fine with it being two dimensions. Add to your fun? No, I would argue it doesn't add to, add to many people's fun. It depends upon whether you're favouring your dolphins or your chariot or the vase. Yeah, I like the good bars myself. (laughs) It's very true. I think the most important thing, because we mentioned it a few times with with playtesting, is the fun bit. Because at the end of the day, Mm. we are making games, and if it's fun, Mm. so actually, if you test a game, and even though it's beautifully balanced and it all works well, and your players understand the rules and everything, but it's not fun, then it's still a fail. So, so I think sometimes you have to sacrifice some of those elements for the the fun. Yeah. Mm. A little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a balance, obviously. You can't just go, no, don't have any rules, just like... No fun allowed here. Run around and hit each other with sticks if you enjoy it. Go for it. Mm. But that's not really... Which is, again, these are all valid methods of play, but it's like finding the place that you need to exist on, on the continuum Mm -hmm. between a fully comprehensive three-dimensional war game in space, Mm -hmm. which for a lot of people is immense fun. Yeah. Running around shouting pew pew at people and making um, X-wing noises as you do a 1940s dogfight in space, which mm. from Jessica's face, I'm guessing that is very much your sort of fan. Yeah. Uh, to to finding somewhere in the middle where you are having fun that is also compatible with the fifth edition rule set, mm. and that's uh, that's uh, that's a thing because fifth edition rule set doesn't acknowledge <laughs> things like height. Well, I mean, yeah, not talking ships. about playtesting. We, we are not talking about playtesting. Um, <laughs> I, I'm certainly going to be interested to see what comes out of the Void Runners Codex because it's. Mm. I mean, I'm super excited for it, and occasionally I see like little drips and drabs when people foolishly tag at everyone. I'm like, oh yes, well, since you've asked yeah. me for my opinion, here it is. Right, we got Dungeon Devil's Guide first. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Oh no, no, I think we're pretty much we're pretty much done. I think. Okay. Yeah, I would say if you want to playtest for Level Up, if you go to levelup5e.com, you can sign up mm. to the newsletter there, and then when we are looking for playtesters, mm. we'll send a message out. So if you fancy doing we'll let that. You know. And yeah. also, we yeah. just when we're talking about incentives for people to do that, I think depending on your budget, yeah. like some people like we'll just do a pizza party, like give people pizza or just like bank on people's goodwill. Mm. We, we're planning on paying people to do this as well. So mm. we're planning to make yes. it paid. Yeah. So but it's more, on that later, more on that later. But we'll talk more, more on that later. But if you sign up to the newsletter, yeah. you'll get details of it when it comes out. Yeah, because the plans aren't quite quite nice yet. But we're no, pretty no, but they're coming together. So sign up to the newsletter and we'll, we'll send you a massage when mm. it's done. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful podcast. Apparently I now have to read this to you.
This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. Mm, That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. One other aspect of playtest... One other thing I've noticed is that when you... Hang on a second. Hudson, get down. Get down. Hudson, go to bed. Go to bed. Bed. What happened? Was there a bird in the garden? Something crazy? Cat. (gasps) That's worth shouting about. I'd yell at them too. For the audio description for uh, anyone listening, Hudson (laughs) is actually going to his bed when he's told like a very good boy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.